guys. Welcome back to Pain to Purpose, the podcast where I share my real life experiences in turning my pain into purpose. To inspire others in working through trauma, mental illness, and just real life events. I'm your host, Alyssa Weiss, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about addiction and substance abuse. So before we start this episode, I need to be honest with you guys. I've tried recording this episode two other times now. The first time, while I was recording, my recording device died. And so I took a step back for a minute and I thought about it and I was like, you know, nothing ever happens as a coincidence. God is always in the forefront of everything that we do. And for me, I took that as a sign because while I was recording that episode, I was talking about addiction and how to work through addiction, but I wasn't being honest with myself as much as I could have been. And I'm kind of shaking right now because I, ugh, we all have our vices. Me still to this day. I still smoke. I smoke cigarettes and I smoke weed. The reason I smoke weed is for my mental health. I'm not on any prescriptions anymore because we'll get into that later, but I had to get off my prescriptions. And here's the truth. I hate smoking. I hate smoking cigarettes and I hate smoking weed. I have gotten to a point where I've allowed both of these things to almost consume my life. The nicotine especially because... When I was 14 is when I started vaping. And yeah, I had that two-year time period where I was in rehab where I didn't really have nicotine like that. But I still have been smoking on and off for the past five years. And still, that's not something I'm proud of. So I like to keep everything as authentic as possible. So through this episode of me giving you tips and tricks on how to overcome addiction, I too am going to be working through my addiction from here on out. Today was my last day of smoking. Today's Monday. The day you guys hear this will be Tuesday. So tomorrow, Tuesday, the day you guys hear this, is my first day clean. I smoked a cigarette today on Monday. I didn't originally want to. However, my self-discipline Today was lacking. I didn't have control of my thoughts. I didn't have control of my actions. And that's something that's been weighing heavy on my heart. Because the whole reason I started this podcast is, like I say in my intro, to inspire others to work through real-life events. So for me, this is a real-life event. My name is Alyssa, and I'm an addict. I've been an addict, I'm going to say my entire life. Addiction runs in my family. So the day I came out of the womb, I was already cursed, I guess you could say. Because I watched my father struggle with addiction growing up. He was a lot better at hiding it than a lot of people are. But it got to a point when I hit a certain age where I did notice it. About the age of 11 or 12 is when everything really started to hit the fan for me. My dad had started drinking more. 
I didn't know he was smoking weed or doing pills at the time. I only thought he was drinking a lot. He had told his doctors he was only drinking socially, but the truth was he was drinking every night at our house. And I can't blame him because of what he was dealing with at work and everything that he was going through on his own, because I have to remember that my father is human too. And when we're struggling, when we're stressed, it's pretty common to find something to alleviate that stress. For some people, it's alcohol, others it's weed, nicotine, food, sex, porn, whatever. My point is, drugs are not the only things that you can get addicted to. You can get addicted to working out too much. You can get addicted to sleeping. I feel like that's kind of just part of depression as well, but it is a very real thing. You know, people, some people are addicted to spending money. And so it's not just a cookie cutter box of what addiction looks like. Back to my point. When I was 14 freshman year and I found my quote unquote friend group, I didn't realize these people really weren't my friends at the time, but it was a group of people that accepted me, quote unquote, accepted me. But that acceptance meant that I had to change who I was to fit in. And that meant using drugs, using substances. And so when I did learn that the pills that I were on were narcotics and would get me high, I started to crush and snort my pills at 14 years old. And I didn't realize at the time that it was prescription drug abuse. I just kind of thought, oh, well, it makes me feel good and I focus better in school, so might as well, right? Well, that makes me feel better and focus in school turned into sitting in the bathroom, snorting and popping pills and vaping and smoking and occasionally drinking. And so I found myself in a place that I didn't even recognize. I dug myself into a hole and I didn't even know how I got there. I guess I just had a blindfold on as I was digging, just blindly down into the dirt. I didn't really see it as an issue, but like I talked about in my first episode of how my eating disorder spiraled while I was on substances, I lost weight incredibly fast. Due due to the stimulants, the alcohol, and the nicotine. Because stimulants and nicotine are appetite suppressants. And they keep you awake most of the time. So I was just constantly awake, high out of my mind. Just zoned the fuck out. Gone, right? But I was never hungry. Never felt like eating. Wasn't really sleeping. I couldn't then pay attention in school anymore because of how much I was using, abusing my prescriptions. And then I was put in multiple positions to start selling and using other people's stuff. Selling my stuff, using other people's stuff. I don't think in high school I ever used anybody else's drugs Because I was cautious in that sense. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who you got that from. I don't know what's in it. I'm not taking it. However, I knew where all my stuff come from because it came from a pharmacy. I knew it wasn't cut. I knew it wasn't anything like that. It was natural, quote unquote natural, in its purest form. But I I started distributing. And I was dealing my drugs 
So it got pretty bad for me. And I didn't, I didn't realize how much of a problem it was in the moment. But it did get to a point where I just felt awful without it. And that's when you know there's a problem. If you're using something and it's to the point where you feel like you cannot live without that thing, you have an addiction. And that's where I'm at with nicotine, you guys. I've been on that train and I hate this train. I want to get the fuck off this train. I'm so tired of this. And that's part of why I wanted to do this episode today too is because I have a bunch of friends who have come to me, Alyssa, I'm struggling with drug abuse. I'm struggling with this. I'm shooting up this. I'm snorting this. I'm drinking this. But they come to me and they say, I'm so frustrated. I hate this. I don't like how I feel anymore. I feel like shit. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm depressed. I'm hurt. For me to then say, okay, yeah, I completely understand. I understand your frustration. I understand your anger, your sadness, confusion, irritability. I understand your hurt because drugs will consume your life. I lost relationships. I lost friendships. I lost myself. Importantly, most importantly, I lost myself when I was using drugs. I became so negative, so stuck in this is never going to get better. This is always going to be this way. I'm never going to recover. Drugs are the only thing that are important in my life. And I'm here to tell you that is not the case. It's so easy when you're using to continue to spiral in the negative. However, that spiral of you being like, it's never going to end, it's not going to get better, you're keeping yourself in that place. I know this is, some people are going to probably look like, girl, what are you trying to say right now? Because you're wrong. But take what I say here with a grain of salt. Addiction is a mindset. And that's something I realized. And still realizing Addiction is a mindset. You can choose to keep yourself in your addiction or you can choose to help yourself and get help. But here's the other part of addiction. You cannot change anybody with an addiction unless they want the change themselves. And here's why I say that. I was 15, had just turned 15 when I got sent to treatment. I went through wilderness. I talked about it a little bit in my first episode if you missed it. But when I was 15, graduated wilderness and immediately sent to a residential treatment program. I was in a residential for about 16 months. I didn't need to be there that long, but I was the one who kept myself there that long. And here's why I say that. Because when I had gotten out of wilderness, I was pretty confident like, okay, gung-ho about my treatment let's go best foot forward yes we're gonna do this we're gonna just breeze right through this piece of cake easy peasy nope you know why because I hadn't taken the time to reflect on the lessons that I had learned in wilderness about 
what I was doing freshman year. So without processing the lessons and the things that I needed to learn from that situation, that lesson repeated itself for me in treatment because I didn't get it the first time. So I found another group of friends who I thought accepted me. But then again, I had to change who I was to be accepted. And you'd think, oh, in treatment, you can't get drugs, anything like that. Well, you'd be surprised. My friend group, we all got really good at cheeking our medication in treatment. And if you don't know what that is, it's literally hiding your medication in your cheek, under your tongue, in your upper lip, whatever. And our staff did mouth checks. So we had to open our mouth so they could look in and make sure that we swallowed our pills. But still, we had managed to work around that. The times they didn't do mouth checks were with Benadryl, allergy medication, stuff like that. And I'm not saying this to encourage anybody because I don't want to encourage you to do drugs. Please, if you have not tried drugs, I would not recommend it. They weren't checking our mouths for our allergy meds. And we started to snort Benadryl. And if you guys don't know, like I said, I am not encouraging you to do this. Please, please, please do not crush and snort any of your pills because it's hard to come back from. But point being in treatment, we were crushing and snorting our Benadryl, getting high off of our asses, and our staff had no idea. It got to a point where there was this one night I was about to go on a home visit. And we got to leave for an extended period of time up to our therapist's discretion and treatment team. So I was about to go on a home visit for my birthday in 2019. Yes, 2019. I was about to go on a home visit for my birthday. And it was right before family event. And family event was when all of our parents flew out and came to Utah. And we all did like big group therapy sessions, parents and children with a therapist, all processing stuff. Not going to go into detail with that. So before I went on that home visit for my birthday and my friends were still cheeking their meds, my friend comes up to me with a little bag, little plastic bag, and it was all crushed up. It looked like an eight ball. And so I really didn't know what it was. I just knew it was drugs. She gave it to me and she was like, here, finish this. So I took the bag into the bathroom. The worst thing about this is there was a staff member sitting in the hallway right outside of the bathroom. Goodness gracious, my nose is literally starting to burn thinking about this. This is awful. This is why I don't do this anymore. I went into the bathroom and it was kind of like a Jack and Jill bathroom, except in one place half of the bathroom there was a shower in the toilet and a door so you could close yourself in that little area outside that door there were two sinks and then there was another door separating that one from the hallway so two doors i closed the first one so my staff member couldn't see in the bathroom i had the bag on me and i poured it out on the counter i can't remember how many lines i did that night but I just remember immediately after I had left the bathroom and gotten rid of the evidence, I went in my bed and I laid down. And I remember I prayed to God. I said, 
God, please don't let me die tonight. I'm so scared. I don't know what I just took. I don't know what I just put in my body, but I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to die. Lord, please don't let me die. The reason I had been praying like that in desperation for my life, my entire body was tingling. My body, literally an out-of-body experience. I saw myself floating above my body. And I know that was the drugs talking, but that was the scariest moment of my entire life. Come to find out, when I got home, it was, or when I got back to treatment from my home visit, I asked what was in that. It was a bunch of uppers and downers. And if you don't know anything about drugs, uppers are stimulants, downers are depressants. And um, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't tell you how downers help your mood, honestly, because... I don't care enough. Honestly, I really don't because I'm not on meds anymore. But I do know as a previous drug addict, when you mix uppers and downers, that ish can kill you. That can take you out. So the fact that God was behind me that night and I didn't die, I'm so grateful for. And that right there also shows me that that was part of his greater plan to get me here where I am today. Because I genuinely, truly feel like I should have died that night. And there's a lot of those nights where I could say that. I have escaped death by the skin of my teeth multiple, multiple, multiple times. And so that moment right there for me was the first moment I realized this is an issue. But when you're still that young and when you're using, your brain and your heart don't connect. There's a disconnect there. Your brain is logically saying, oh, you should probably stop, but your heart's and your body... Is craving that. You want the drugs. You want to continue using. Long story short, eventually, homegirl brought in a vape. I used it the day before I went on my next home visit for Christmas, which was like 12 days. And um, literally the second I landed, my therapist called me and was like, what do you know about this jewel? What do you know about these drugs? My heart stopped. I was already in Colorado, so I knew I wasn't going to get in trouble that day. But Lord, I had it coming for me when I got back. I got back after Christmas and the entire campus was on therapeutic probation. And what that meant for us in our treatment center was everybody goes back to level one, whether that be permanently for a week, for two weeks. It's up to your therapist's discretion, treatment team's discretion, and the severity of the thing that you did. So I had already been on TP a couple of times. That's what we called it, TP, therapeutic probation, right? So I've been on TP a couple times already. I knew what it was like. I was like, okay, whatever. I know I'll probably be on TP when I get back, but it's fine. It won't be a big deal. Well, it was a big deal because when I was gone, my so-called friends threw me under the bus. I was the one who brought in the jewel. I was the one cheeking the meds. I was the one crushing the pills and distributing it. So everything was thrown on me and I couldn't defend myself because I wasn't in the state. So that had taught me two things. One, you can't trust everybody who you think is your friend, especially when you guys are using together. Anybody who you consider a friend that you're consistently using hard drugs with, they're not your friend. I guarantee you, if you both were in a life or death situation, you're the one going to get thrown under the bus. Doesn't matter what you did, how you'd been there for them. You're the one under the bus. 
And if you're not in a treatment setting, when you're thrown under the bus, you're lucky if you make it out of that situation alive. And I'm saying this because I just recently had a friend who was in a car with one of his friends, and I know that they used together. And this isn't me to throw, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I don't want to any of my friends to feel like by me sharing a small piece of an experience they went through that I'm throwing you under the bus. I'm not. I completely understand why you were in that situation, how you got in that situation, and how it ended the way that it did. But he comes to me and he was like, Alyssa, I got in a car accident. I didn't realize my friends were on this substance. And I was like, yo, like, that's really scary. I'm so glad you're okay. Car was totaled. Thankfully, everybody was just fine, right? But that was his car. So by that choice to hang out with that person, even though you had no idea they were on something, just kind of shows who your true friends are. True friends, first of all, wouldn't be trying to drive under the influence of something that'll knock you out at the wheel. I'm pretty sure that's what happened, is probably fell asleep. But being in that situation... Your friends wouldn't get in the car, get behind a wheel, put you in that situation to be in harm's way if they were actually your friend. And bro, now that's your car down the drain, your mode of transportation, the way that you take care of yourself because you continue to put yourself in a situation around people that did not have good interests for you, did not have your best interest at heart. And that's what happened to me with my friends, quote unquote friends, is they didn't have my best interest at heart. They were so quick to throw me under the bus. And that will really show you quickly how true your friends really are. So I learned two things that day. One, I learned who my true friends were. And two, going back to my original point, you can't change an addict unless they want to change. Because it was up until that moment, I didn't want to change. I wanted to go home and continue using. But guess what? How I talked about my last episode of the sexual assault, whatever you do in the dark will come to light. And I didn't realize that. So everything came to the light. The drug use, the manipulation in our friendships, the (laughs) unrelated, the nasty stick and pokes. Point being, all of our truth came out. And when you're using drugs... It will get to a point where you can't hide it anymore. You will get caught by your parents, by the cops, by a family friend, by a sibling, by an aunt or an uncle. I don't know. It'll come out and you will get caught. And that was the hard reality for me is I didn't know that. I thought that I could hide it and I was so good at hiding my drug use and nobody knew that I was using and I was Gucci. I was living my best life. No, I wasn't. No, I absolutely was not. That was such an awful time period for me. So I thought I was going to come back and be on TP. I was a level four. We had a level system. So it was level one through five. Level five, you got your phone. You got to go out and go shopping, have your cards, your money, all your stuff, like transitioning back home into the real world from the treatment setting. I was a level four. I had just started getting my privileges. You know, I could fill out a pass and go shopping with any other friends that were also level fours and a staff member. So I was like right there, really close to graduating, 
But I had faked my entire process. I had been lying in therapy. I had been lying to my friends, to my staff members about like, yeah, I'm so good. I'm doing great. I'm high on drugs, but nobody knows that. I'm, I'm chilling. But it came out. And what I was doing in the dark came to light. So I get back and my therapist immediately pulls me into his office. Just starts asking me a whole bunch of questions. And um, he's like, okay, thanks for your honesty. You're on level one. It's like, okay, cool. Level one. Great. TP. Come to find out. In that, in that therapy session, this is kind of important. I asked him to move houses. So I literally just moved across the campus, like right across the street. Because it was away from that group of quote unquote friends that I was with. Come to find out. The day that I moved over there, my level got dropped. Treatment team and my therapist decided that the best option for me would just start all the way over. New house, new roommates, level one. And I was fuming. I was furious because my heart was so set on, I'm leaving in two months. I'm not, I don't even care. By me choosing to keep myself stuck in that cycle and not learn the lessons that God, the universe, whatever you believe, had intended for me to learn, by putting myself back in that situation, I caused my own frustration. I caused my own heartache. I caused my own pain because I chose to ignore the lessons that I could have learned the first time. Because I didn't want to accept that quitting would be better for me than keeping myself stuck. And that's the hard part with addiction. It hopefully happens to everybody because I know, logically, I know that it doesn't. And it's really unfortunate to know that some people get addicted to something or struggle with addiction and that's what takes them out. And I thank God every day that my addiction didn't take me out and that I was able to learn from my addiction and grow from my addiction. But point being was by me wanting to keep myself stuck, I was blocking my blessings. And that blessing for me was to leave treatment, to come home, to be with the people that I wanted to be with. By choosing to keep myself stuck in the things that were no longer serving me, put an additional an additional. 10 months on my treatment, almost another year. And I had been fuming, fuming, but you can only fake something for so long. Again, before the truth comes out, before people see through your lies, before people see through the addiction. And I'm so thankful I learned that lesson when I did, but this is where this lesson is repeating itself for me. No, I'm not using narcotics anymore. No, I'm not using really hard drugs. Thank God. I'm so blessed that he removed me from that situation. However, I haven't completely learned the lesson yet considering my mindset about smoking. I'm allowing myself to stay stuck. And I know that my friends out there who are like, Alyssa, I'm so frustrated. Help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward through this. Well, I'm about to tell you because I'm going to do this with you. If you haven't already, pull out a pen and paper. I actively want you to write down what I'm about to tell you because together 
we are going to create a relapse prevention plan and a plan for you to quit. But like I said, that's up to you. I can't change anybody unless they want to change. And nobody's watching right now. It's you and you. Nobody sees you. Nobody hears you. So if you decide to make this choice right now to quit, that's on you. You're the only one watching. You're the only one supporting. Are you going to fold? Or are you going to do something different this time? Because if you can do the right thing when nobody's watching, you can become unstoppable. You can get rid of this addiction. Because I had to do that too. And granted, I'm sure a lot of you are like, Alyssa, you actually were in treatment. You had help. This, this, and that. Well, you can quit without help. It's a choice. Being in addiction, in active addiction, is a choice. Finding support groups like NA, for example, or finding a therapist, or even just finding a sponsor you can call. You can quit without spending thousands upon thousands of dollars to go to drug rehab. Because guess what? NA is free. You don't have to pay to go to Narcotics Anonymous. You don't have to pay to go to Marijuana Anonymous. You don't have to pay to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. These are free tools that have been given to us to combat our addictions. And I remember my first time walking into NA, I was shitting myself. I was like, I don't know any of these people and you want me to talk about my drug addiction? Well, guess what, baby? They're sitting in this, that room for the same exact reason you are because I'm sure there's a family history of addiction that you were all working through. But let me tell you, when you work through your addiction with people who are also actively working through their addiction, it's so much easier. For example, if you have a fish tank and all of your fish are sick, and you put a healthy fish in that sick fish tank, what's going to happen to the healthy fish? It's going to get sick. Well, what if you take one of those sick fish out of the sick fish tank and put it in a healthy fish tank? That fish is eventually going to start to heal and get better because of the energy that it's surrounding itself with, right? Here's my point. If you choose... To keep yourself in that situation with your bad friends, like mine, keep using, keep, keep doing what you're doing. In NA, we would say that could lead to three things. Death, institutions, or jail. Which out of those three sound like the best option to you? The institution, right? Well, let me tell you it's not. Being in drug rehab and treatment is awful. It's not fun. It's not cute. Jail, institution, or death are your three options if you make the choice to continue using. Or you can make a really hard but beneficial choice and quit. And I know that some of my friends are on extremely hard drugs and that's not something you can quit overnight. I get that. I understand some of you are using heroin and cocaine and meth and codeine, and all of these really hard substances. I understand. I was you too. I know that when you're using things of that heavy substance, you can't quit cold turkey. I understand that. And so that's why this plan that we're about to make together, if you choose to, will give you tips and tools on how to wean off of it. 
So that's the first part of the plan is figure out how much you're using on a daily basis, what you're using and how much of it. That's the first step. Once you figure out how much and how often you're using, you can start to create a plan and try to cut that use in half. And that in itself at first is going to be really hard. I understand that too. But you have to start somewhere. And quitting drugs is not easy. So I don't want you to walk into this thinking it's going to be a piece of cake. You're going to struggle. You're going to want to relapse. And unfortunately, the hard truth of the reality is relapse is part of change. Relapse is part of growth. You are going to fall back into those mindsets, those habits, before you pull yourself out again and be like, okay, I'm done. We've done this once. We can do it again. I'm frustrated. I'm tired of feeling this way. And this is why I wanted to quit in the first place, right? So if you relapse, first of all, do not beat yourself up. It is part of the process. I can't even tell you how many times I relapsed in treatment, outside of treatment, before I finally got it together. And I've been out of treatment almost two and a half years now. So first, I want you to think about your goal. For me, mine is to quit cold turkey. So that means tomorrow, for me, when you guys are listening to that, this podcast today for you, I have had no cigarettes. And moving forward, I will have no cigarettes. Why? This is important too. When you're creating your relapse prevention plan, we didn't do this in treatment, but this is a part of the relapse prevention plan I felt that really lacked. Why do you want to quit? Because if your why to quit is not strong enough, you will immediately relapse. You will have nothing to stand on, no morals, no values as to why you're making this really hard decision so that when you are in those moments of wanting to relapse, you can fall back on your why and be like, okay, no, my why is stronger than my craving. My why is stronger than this one quick buzz. My why is stronger than this one drink. My why is stronger than this one porn video. My why is stronger than sleeping with this random person I just met. Because I value myself, I value my goals, and I value my growth. So my why for me is all of those things. But also with cigarettes, I hate smelling like smoke. I hate having bad breath. I hate having headaches. I hate when I'm working out, it's harder to breathe. I hate that I spend so much money on it. I hate that it causes me to look like I'm aging faster because drugs will absolutely make you age faster. There's a, pe- there's a couple people in the modeling industry who are like 30. Bro, you look like you're in your 50s and 60s because of how much coke you're putting up your nose. Quit that shit. Get rid of it. Like, you look rough, babe. And I have to realize that for me is like why I'm so obsessed over why I'm getting wrinkles and bags under my eyes, girl, because you smoke. Because when you're high and you're squinty, you're going to get lines under your eyes. When you smoke and you wrinkle your forehead, the more you smoke, the more you lose elasticity in your skin. Smoking constricts your blood cells. You're not getting enough oxygen. And let me tell you, your skin is your biggest organ on your body. If you're not getting enough blood flow to your skin, that's why you're aging. You're probably also not drinking enough water, but that's a whole side note. So my throat 
also hurts when I smoke. I hate that my teeth look yellow. I hate that I feel unmotivated. I hate that I feel unfocused. I hate that I'm lacking self-discipline. And so my why as to why I want to quit is so much stronger than that one buzz, that one cigarette. Because quite honestly, smoking cigarettes don't even do anything for me anymore. And what did I tell you guys in the very beginning of this episode? When nicotine stopped doing what it was supposed to do for me, I replaced my addiction with something stronger. So we have two choices. Either realize what's not working and serving you anymore and replace it, but that replacement can go one of two ways. It can be positive or negative. That's the thing about growth is there's two directions you can grow in. There's backwards and forwards. And nobody should be moving backwards. That's not what life is about. Life is about constantly moving forward, constantly changing, constantly releasing, letting go, and rebuilding who we are. By you continuing to sit in your addiction and making the choice to keep yourself stuck, you're growing the wrong way, baby. So how is the next one? You have your goal, you have your why, and you have your how. Like I said, my goal is to quit cold turkey. My why is because I value myself, because I value self-discipline, and because I hate all these physical things that come with smoking. My how is how I'm going to quit. I'm going to keep gum on my person at all times. So when I get a craving, I shove a piece of gum in my mouth. A lot of the time when I smoke, it's an oral fixation. It's because I'm doing something with my hands and with my mouth. So if I'm putting a piece of gum in my mouth, it's essentially the same type of thing. But then I'm also replacing my addiction with something positive, with something that can distract me, with something that I can use to consciously focus on instead of smoking. Another one that's been helpful in the past is color by numbers. Get a color by number app on your phone. They're free. So when you're having cravings, when you can't get control of your mind, when you feel like you're spiraling, pull up that app on your phone and start coloring. It's mindless and you can allow yourself to focus on that. And I encourage you to work on deep breathing while you're doing it too. I want you to also, the next step is to identify your triggers. What triggers you to use? What area, what person, what event, what argument, what feeling makes you want to use, makes you want to cope with it? Because that's what using is most of the time. It's another coping method. My triggers for when I want to smoke the most are the car because that's where I smoke the most. So I know for me, I'm going to get triggered in the car. What can I do when I'm about to get in the car? What can I do to prevent myself from relapsing in that moment? Right? Like I said, have a piece of gum on me. Pop a piece of gum in my mouth. Another thing that makes me want to smoke a lot is boredom. And that's a big one for a lot of people is you're bored. You want to do something, you're going to get high. That was a lot of it for me 
So I was always bored. I had nothing to do. So in those moments of boredom, those are the most important moments to distract yourself. It's okay to be bored. Like boredom is a human emotion. We should experience boredom and allow ourselves to eventually sit comfortably in our boredom. But at first, that's not not easy. Quite frankly, I don't think it's really possible. When you're first trying to quit, to sit in your boredom, because that's when your mind starts to race. All that time that you have quietness and nothing to focus on, it's really easy to get caught up in those thoughts of using, using this, smoking this, doing this, crushing this, right? And we tend to obsess over it. But that causes unregulation. And when we're unregulated and we're anxious in our thoughts and have no control over our mind or ourselves for that matter, what can you do in those moments of being unregulated? And that's the next question. What can I do when I'm unregulated? For me, when I'm unregulated, I need to take a step back. Sometimes for me to process my emotions and how I'm feeling, pick up a blank piece of paper and a pen and draw with no expectations. Don't go into it expecting to draw this beautiful masterpiece. No, take that pen and let it put your emotions, your feelings, your cravings on paper. Because when you have that time to be back in your body, pen to paper, no other distractions, you're just venting onto that piece of paper, you can look back and be like, wow, these are all the moments that I really wanted to use, that I really felt like I needed to cope. But I am so proud of myself that I chose to do something different. That just picking up that pen and that paper that one time made all the difference. Another one is you need to distract yourself. We talked about DBT skills a lot in therapy and treatment. And if you don't know what DBT stands for, it's dialectical behavioral therapy. And so it processes the way that we think, breaks down our thought patterns and how they affect our behaviors. And one of them, one of the coping skills that we would use is distract. And it literally is what it says in the title, distract yourself. Go for a walk, watch TV, watch YouTube, start a business. For me, what do you think this podcast is? In my moments of boredom when I could have been doing something to grow the wrong way, I took that negative energy and turned it into something positive. Because this pain that you're going through has purpose. Hence the name of my podcast, Pain to Purpose. That pain that I was dealing with had a greater purpose for me. A lot of you are waiting around for a divine intervention. For an intervention to do what you want to do. Let me tell you, it's not coming for you. You are your own intervention. Nobody's going to pull you out of your shit. And let me tell you, your shit stinks, boo-boo. Your shit fucking reeks. And excuse my colorful language, but your shit stinks. Like, I can smell it from here, boo-boo, and we ain't even in the same vicinity. You're not going to have an intervention. I'm grateful for my mama because I did have an intervention. My intervention was treatment. 
a lot of people aren't so fortunate to get an intervention. So you have to be your own intervention. Don't lose yourself to this addiction. Because with where you're at right now, this very well may be your last opportunity to get it together. Because who's to say if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to overdose next week. That's a very possible reality of using drugs. Do you want that? Logically, slow down. Do you want that? Do you want the risk of if you continue doing what you're doing to be buried six feet under the ground in a cold casket? Do you want that? Do you actually want that? No. No, you don't. Because the pain that you're trying to hide is festering. And if you let those drugs kill you, that pain that's festering is about to be put on to everybody who loves and cares about you. And I hate to break this to you. That's selfish. I had to realize that my drug abuse was extremely selfish. I wasn't thinking about anybody except myself. And yeah, I'd always been that person that was like, I'm just trying to be there for others. I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. Well, these people didn't fucking care about me. And so that kept me in my addiction. Once I let go of those people that I was trying to do so much for, my addiction got so much easier to battle. Those demons I was fighting got smaller and smaller to the point where I could just put them in my back pocket and not even think about them anymore. But right now, a lot of you are feeling like your demons are bigger than you. If you take the time to reflect what's your goal, what's your why, how are you going to do it, what are your triggers, and how can you prevent those triggers, and what can you do in those moments of unregulation. Here's the second part of the relapse prevention plan. When you're about to relapse, before you relapse, I should say, your triggers are going to be very important. My triggers are getting in arguments, boredom, the car, feeling unregulated, having some life event happen to me where I'm struggling and I'm dealing with emotional pain. It's so much easier to think, okay, I'm just going to numb it with this worldly thing, with this superficial high that's not even going to benefit me in two hours from now when I'm feeling like shit on the come down. So when you're about to relapse, what can you do to pull yourself out of that unregulation and do something different? And I'm just going to list off a whole bunch of skills. If any of them resonate with you, write them down. Go for a walk. Watch TV. Call a friend. Find a support group. Do some yoga. Meditate, draw, read a book, color, skateboard, ride a bike, scooter, go for a hike, play with your dogs. Whatever it may be, focus on distracting yourself. If you need to cry first and scream and punch pillows and just get incredibly angry and frustrated and just let that, just let it out right? Do that. Because let me tell you the other day, I've, I've slowly been weaning off of nicotine. The other day I smoked one cigarette and that night 
I lost my mind. I was screaming. I was crying. I was punching pillows. I was just like, why, God, why? Because I decided to keep myself stuck there. But once I let it out, once I screamed and I cried and I let that energy out, I was so tired to the point where I didn't even want to smoke anymore. All I wanted to do was sleep. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to tire yourself out to sleep to prevent it. I get it. During this time, I personally rely on sleep overcoming addiction as much as possible. But that's something you also have to be careful with is because if you sleep too much, you can put yourself in a depression. So you have to find that balance. When you're quitting nicotine, it makes you really tired because as I said, it's a stimulant. It keeps you awake. It keeps you quote unquote energized, but it's fake energy. So when you're not using it, you just want to sleep and that's okay. It's okay to take a nap. Literally the past two weeks of me sitting on this episode and praying about it and asking God for guidance, I needed to sleep. I needed to rebuild that natural energy that my body had to let go of the nicotine, to get some of that out of my bloodstream. Rely on water really heavily. Water is life. And I literally mean that because our, seven, our bodies are 70% water. Constantly be drinking water. If you can get a gallon water bottle, that will be so helpful. Constantly have it on you. Constantly have it full. When you're craving something, drink water. Because you're flushing it out of your system. Sleep. Drink water. Distract yourself. I was reading a book called Untamed. And it's about not pleasing people and starting to live. If you're a woman, I highly recommend this book for you because it's written from a woman's perspective. Beautiful book. Glennon Doyle. Great author. Love her very much. But she was talking about how she was quitting in one chapter, how she was struggling with addiction. And there was a mantra in it that I have kept so close to my heart and will be keeping even closer to my heart now, considering I too am still battling addiction. Quitting is hard, but we can do hard things. And I say we, and she said we, because when it's we, you think you're not alone. And that's what I really want to stress to you guys is I'm hoping that I've given you guys resources and tools to start quitting. And I'm going to do a follow-up episode probably on this topic again this week to check in because I do post twice a week to check in on my quit and to just refresh and give you guys some new tools of like what I've used this week to help me. And I think I wanted to do this through the podcast because this is going to be a good way for me to keep myself accountable. And you guys can watch my accountability and see too like, okay, if I relapse, you're going to know. If I quit cold turkey, you're going to know. If I'm struggling, you're going to know because I'm here for the authenticity, for you guys to understand that you're not alone. So by you quitting... Know that I am right there with you. I'm actively quitting cigarettes. 
No, it may be not meth, heroin, coke, the stuff that you guys are dealing with. No. And you could think of it as like, oh, it's lesser than, but it's still the same concept of addiction. And addiction is addiction no matter which way you slice it. So with that being said, thank you guys for sticking around. I know this was a long episode, but I honestly knew it was going to be just because of the extent of what I needed to talk about and what I needed to share. And I think that God just knew that I needed to share my story and just I'm praying for real that this just impacts the people it really needs to because addiction is so hard. Addiction is ugly and addiction looks different for every single person. So I know I specifically talked about drugs in this episode, but this concept can be applied to any addiction. Be kind to yourself. Be patient in your moments of frustration and anger and irritability. Be kind to yourself in those moments of sadness, in those moments where you're screaming at other people because you're so mad and just detoxing from these shitty drugs. Take a step back, take a deep breath, and remind yourself quitting is hard, but we can do hard things. Quitting is hard, but we can do hard things. Quitting is hard, but we can do hard things. I'm just where I'm meant to be, and I'm grateful for God in this process. And lean on him too. Lean on the universe, lean on angels, whatever you believe in. Lean on that support while you can, because God will never leave you in the dirt. He will always be there for you. Thank you guys again for showing up today, showing up for yourselves, and listening to this podcast. Like I said, I know it was a longer episode, So I really do appreciate if you made it all the way to the end. If you did, and this impacted you in any some sort of way, please, please, please leave a rating, leave a review, share it, just spread the word because that's the way my podcast really grows. And, you know, I'm trusting this process and just praying that the shares reach out to the people that need it the most and just impact everybody that I need to impact with my story, with these lessons, with these things, is that's all I want to do is impact the people around me and show you that you too have a purpose here if you choose to lean into it. I love you guys very, very much. I hope you have a good rest of the half of your week. I will talk to you again on Friday. Thank you again for being here. I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your day. Stay sexy. Peace out, guys.